Hello, all you sexy dadders out there. Uh, we are Sexy Dad Jokes. This is episode 15. We're uh, sort of breaking protocol, if you will, today uh, because a bunch of kids just got shot up in Texas, and I just don't have it in me to deliver any dad jokes right now. Uh, it's I, I can't comprehend what happened. I'm struggling with it. And what I'd like to do is have just an open, real, vulnerable conversation to help us all process the senselessness that has happened. And in our everlasting journey to be the best men that we can be, to understand the role that toxic masculinity has played in bringing us to where we're at right now. So I know we're, we're usually a bunch of laughs uh, and we have a lot of fun, but we as men have to be able to take on serious topics as well. Uh, so that's, that's what we're going to try to do today. So so thanks for watching, and uh, don't really know how this is going to go, but welcome. <laughs> uh, and uh, we had a great show planned for you, and you'll still get that show uh, next time. But right now... Coming soon. <laughs> this is why we do what we do. We love the dad jokes. Uh we we love to have we love the skits. Josh, you're 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 just so talented and and wonderful at it. The square fifties guy is just a barrel full of laughs and really yeah, and we gotta love him too. <laughs> we gotta like love our him favorite too. redheaded stepchild and we just gotta love him too. <laughs> uh but uh, as as men we're here to challenge ourselves and uh, we need to be willing to have the hard conversations as well. Um, anything y'all want to add, fellas? Well, yeah. I could say is, oh, go ahead, Johnny. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, it's always important to get things off your chest, to speak freely, to sometimes have the more serious sit-down talks, but it's best to always some, never do it alone. We got the four of us here, those here watching and listening. You got us. And also, all four of us, we're not alone either. We have uh, probably the most mature person of <laughs> the STJ group who is waiting in the wings to help keep us afloat. Yes. This, uh, serious matter. We do have a guest here with us today. Uh, but Johnny Spaz, I wanted to give you a chance to say something uh, as you were about to say something there. Oh, no. I was just going to uh, reinforce what Josh was saying. Okay. All right. Well, um, to help us with this conversation, we actually uh, had had him booked up for this, uh, and we appreciate you uh, being willing to to be nimble with us here. Uh, but he is a director of the Inland Northwest Compassionate Mind Center. Uh, he's got a new book out called Experiencing Compassion Focused Therapy from the Inside Out. And he is 
one of the world's most renowned experts on compassion-focused therapy, so much so that he gave a TEDx talk on it. Uh, please welcome back to the show on SDJ, Dr. Russell Colts. Woo! Thanks for having me back, guys. It's good to have you. You forgot yes. to mention he's an honest to God American. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Thank you. Uh, this, uh, it, it actually is really helping me today to, to be here with you. It's It's been a rough day uh, mm. for me, as with a lot of us, I think. Yeah. And uh, just to just quickly summarize, uh, over the past two weeks, I believe, we've had two mass shootings, one in Buffalo where 10 Three. were killed at a top supermarket. Uh, just, gosh, was it yesterday? Well, was we yesterday. were recording on Wednesday, the 20, May 25th. Uh, just recently, uh, 19 young children and two teachers were killed in a sh uh, school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, and I, I don't know why. I don't understand it. I don't understand how someone could get to the point in life where the thing that makes sense to do is to go shoot up a school. I just don't understand it. And there's people are talking about a lot of different things, uh, gun control. Uh, we just did a, a whole uh, saga on video games uh, where people sit down and the, the whole point of the game is to shoot up a bunch of people. Uh, mental health. I just, I don't understand it. I don't have the answers. And that's why I wanted to just open it up and have... A conversation about it maybe we can try to come to uh, some understanding because all of us in this room do a lot of thinking about things like this uh, and specifically with sexy dad jokes from the perspective of toxic masculinities because we are men who strive to be the best we can be and that means eschewing toxicity rejecting it in favor of something that is productive and and breathes life into us that is compassionate and not about hate and anger what goes in the minds of these shooters how could you get so warped like normally okay so there are people who get to a point of hopelessness and despair so much so that they feel like their best course of action is to take their own life, suicide. And that is tragic. But they're not going off and shooting up a school, shooting up a supermarket. What is happening to those who feel like that is their best course of action? And I think my own feeling is maybe it's like people who are feeling this hopelessness and despair, but then introducing this whole other element of anger and hate. 
And when you bring that all together and you mix it into a cocktail, you get this madness. And goodness, there is a lot of anger and hate to go around these days. I'm going to stop there. What do you all think? I think a lot of things because I have an interesting perspective on this not interesting in that i think other people will find it interesting interesting to me that um i come from the culture that won't pass any laws and about it because they're afraid people are going to take their guns um i've also been on the other side of that now where i'm a school teacher with exactly the age group that this was and i can I know 20 kids by face and name. Like I have a, you know, they come up to me and hug me and tell me they love me. Like, and I'm just walking around. They just, when they see me, they just, their eyes like saucers and they get emotional. (laughs) It's like when a dog's really happy to see you, you know, but a human. (laughs) And, um, I've also, you know, a lifelong member of the NRA. I was also a weapons specialist in the military. I've also used these guns for their purpose. I've also trained people how to use them. And um, I feel like I have good insight into what, and, and I don't, right now, my, my thought, I'll just cut to the chase. Take all the fucking guns away, ban them. I don't care. If I have to, if I had my guns on this side of the room and a human baby on that side, and someone said you can have one or the other, just who who goes over here to the gun? If that's the kind of person that that is, then maybe we instead of banning abortion, we should ban that kind of person from being able to associate themselves with our community as a human. The point is, if you don't, if you can't honestly say to yourself, what's more important to me, the children of other people or my gun, you have a mental issue to work out. In my opinion. It's sort of a combination between what's going on in your head uh, and access ready access to weapons I fought easy my, access yeah yeah and i fought myself out of that culture ben kicking and screaming dragged out of it so i know how hard it is for people to just break free from that i spent a hundred thousand dollars on an education in psych for a job that i never wanted <laughs> okay <laughs> like who does that am i an idiot maybe there's maybe it wasn't a smart decision but I stand by it. I'll pay the money off sometime between now and my death. I don't really care that much about it. So when it comes to something important, like working through your decisions on something basic, like human life or inanimate object, the, the problem isn't the gun. The problem is the whole, what do we value to in our society that it would end up to where that is possible. I think it's deeper than, you know, take the fucking stupid guns away. What else are we going to do? If alcohol becomes a problem where every 
three minutes there was a drunk driving accident everywhere in the entire United States, we would just ban alcohol. It wouldn't be a thought process. But because you add something that people attach their identity to, to it, you're attacking them. And look at what their behavior is. Does that track? Think to yourself, does that track? I'm not saying that's the call. I'm just saying there's something that to me, there's something deeper there. And the problem isn't getting solved because we're not, we're, we're fixing a leak in a part of the pipe where the leak is not located. Dr. Colts, I saw on your social media, you posted this interesting chart about uh, ready, the readiness and the accessibility of, of weapons in America in particular. <clears throat> yeah. Well, the, the chart, I, you know, I just, I copied it off somebody else, but it was just a graph and it was a scatter plot. And on the, the up and down axis, it had uh, the number of, of mass shootings between 1967 and 2012. And on the, the flat axis, the X axis that, you know, goes across, it, it had the number of guns. Uh, and this was from, you know, it ended at 2012. So this is a long time ago. And what it showed is that, you know, all the other countries, all the other industrialized countries in the world were in the lower left corner. They had, you know, relatively, I say relatively few guns compared to us because, you know, that were, they were in the zero to 50 million guns and very few mass shootings. And then you looked at that up in the right-hand corner, the upper right-hand corner, you see that red dot with the United States. Uh, and that's, you know, lots of mass shootings and it's, you know, almost 300 million guns. And so, uh, I mean, this is, uh, you know, any scientist will tell you correlation doesn't equal causation. Just because these two things co-vary or go together, it doesn't mean that the guns cause uh, the shootings. Happen. But I think it's pretty clear that it's a critical element. They enable it. They, they uh, you know, uh, we don't see, you know, people, we should talk about mental illness. We should talk about working with emotions. I want to talk about toxic masculinity. John up, Johnny brought up some points that I think are really important. If we really want to understand why this happens, I think we need to think about how men deal with their emotions and what, what they allow themselves to feel and how they work to feel strong. But it's the combination of that struggle with emotions because men all over the world struggle with these emotions. There are cultures in which the masculine gender norms are even stricter than there are here in terms of emotion. So there are men all over the world. And I say men because that's who does the mass shootings. I don't even know if there are any female mass shooters, maybe one or two. Someone, one, some one of your listeners will say, well, there was this person. There probably is one. But, but they're almost exclusively men. And, and yet, you know, men all over the world have these emotional challenges. But all over the world, you don't see these mass shootings. So it's the combination of the emotional stuff and the easy access to guns. Now, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I only read a couple articles, so I don't want to pretend like I'm an authority of what happened in Texas. But, you know, the, 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 the couple articles I read indicated that this is a, this, I say kid, he's an adult. He just turned 18 not so long ago. And apparently, like moments or days after he turned 18, he was able to go out and buy an AR-15 or two and like 300 and some uh, uh, 
pieces of ammunition, multiple 30 round magazines, you know, and that feels wrong to me. That feels wrong that because 18 year olds, you know, I don't know if you remember when you were 18, but my emotions were all over the place when I was 18. <laughs> yeah. and I don't think I ever intended to have a mass shooting, but when you combine all that volatile emotionality and all the things that we struggle with, with easy access to weapons that can kill a lot of people very rapidly. I think that's a toxic combination. I think it's a recipe because if you look at all the other countries, every other country, every other industrialized nation in the world, they have the same, a lot of the same challenges we have. The one thing they don't have is they don't have the guns Yeah, and they don't have the mass shootings. And, and so people can point at this or point at that, but you know, it feels like the writing is on the wall that that's part of the story. You know, and I, I was sharing with you before we went on the air. I'm an Oklahoma kid, right? Everyone I knew, I grew up with, hunted. Um, so I'm not, I've not been like an anti-gun activist my whole life. I'm not, you know, I, I think uh, probably if you're, a, if you're eat meat, hunting uh, is probably the most ethical way to do it. But we've got a problem here. And, and, and we've got to acknowledge that guns are a critical element of that, that we need to do something about. I totally agree with that. And to touch, to backtrack, Russell, on something that you said, um, uh, but it made me think of when the people say assault rifles, people on, we'll just say the left, if we're going to split it left versus right, left for gun or left against guns, right for guns, right? And you, you, you took uh, the terminology on how people classify things. And since it's attached to their identity, in my opinion, like there's a bridge there between how they end up and so positioned in this and resistant. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. There's actually some interesting data on threat sensitivity and uh, political leanings. Interestingly enough, Johnny, since you brought up right and left, there are several studies that show, and it's kind of interesting. Um, um, if you'll indulge me for just a second, um, if you look at how sensitive people are to threat, how easily they feel threatened, right? Feel unsafe, uh, get a feel angry, feel uh, anxious. Um, you can predict political affiliation. So people on the right biologically have a stronger threat response than you see who people who lean left. And more than that, what you see, there's research on, in an area called mortality salience, which is a fancy way of saying, get people to think about the fact they're gonna die. Hmm. And when you get someone to uh, think about the fact they're gonna die, their political leanings in the moment shift, right? And this is, these are averages, right? So if you get the people way on the right or way on the left, probably you're not gonna see much difference. But there was a study, I, I believe it was when John Kerry and George Bush were running for president. And they, they uh, surveyed the participants to ask them which way they were leaning. And the majority of people were leaning John Kerry, who was the, the Democrat, the, the left-wing leaning candidate. And then they did the mortality salience intervention. And they had people think about the fact that one day they're going to die, right? Which for most of us brings up a little threat. And what happened is it shifted. And then the majority said, no, Bush. Right? So I think... I think what you're seeing is that uh, threat is involved in this, 
right? When people feel threatened, and this is why I think part of it is about identity, but I, I, we're, one of you mentioned values earlier. What do we care about? What are we about? What do we mean? What do we, what do we stand for? And, and those are the kind of questions we contemplate when we feel safe, right? Like in therapy, I want to help people feel safe in their relationship with me so they can begin to access that sort of thinking, that broader yeah. kind of more flexible thinking, like what do I want my life to be about? Yeah. But what happens when we feel threatened, when we feel scared or angry, is that everything narrows in to whatever the threat is. And yeah. when, particularly when we don't know how to soothe very well, when we're not good at connecting with others and helping our feel sa- ourselves feel safe, we tend to rely on dominant strategies. We tend to try to do other things to help us feel safe, like threat regulation strategies. And so from, from my perspective as a psychologist, I see buying bunches of guns as a threat regulation strategy, mm. right? I'm buying a bunch of guns because mm. I've asked, I've asked my fam. I've asked, I, I, again, I grew up in rural Oklahoma. So I've had these conversations with my high school classmates and I'd, I'd say, you know, I know that these guys have like arsenals, right? Some of them. And I said, what's with all the guns? Why do you guys buy, you know, why do you need 17 AR-15? <laughs> and and they respond, there, there, I mean, because it's a lot, right? And the well, I have a response well, God, to that. I, I have a response because <laughs> of those types of people. And um, it's just, I don't want to interrupt you. I just, it's funny. Well, though, I want to be careful, you know, using types of people because the mm. folks I'm talking about are also people who would do anything. Types of thought process. Sorry. Yeah, it's a thought process. But but these are these are not these are kind people. They're right. giving people. They're caring people. They're not people who are in any way okay. Uh, with with what's happening in in these shootings, and and but I ask and they're like, well, I got to protect my family. And I, I say, well, well, how many times have you had to use your guns to protect your family? And the answer is, well, never, but it could happen. And and of course, I, I'm like, well, do you have any other friends that have all these guns? And they say, well, yeah, I mean, everybody I know has these. Well, how many of them do you know that have had to use their guns to protect their families? And they're like, well. Well, I, maybe, well, I, I don't, I guess nobody, but you never know. And I'm like, well, do you know anyone who's like family, a family member or someone has been hurt through a gun accident through the gun? And usually they can remember someone for that, but, but they feel it, even though they can't come up with uh, an instance in which they needed those guns to protect themselves. Even if they couldn't say why an AR-15 would be better at that than like a shotgun, <clears throat> right? Which seems like it would logically you don't have to aim quite as well right if you're going to do home protection it might i don't know but even though they can't come up with that they feel it they feel the threat and they, there's this conviction i need this and it's like it just helps them regulate threat right when i have these guns i feel a little less threatened right That's and i think so johnny you hit you know it becomes a part of identity too. I think Johnny hit something really important too, which is this is something that's a part of my identity, something I identify with, some part of how I see myself. So the suggestion uh, that you, for example, might not be able to have those AR-15s, it feels like a personal attack. It's not a let's yeah. let's address a gun problem. It's a you're coming after me. Yeah. Like there's a fusion between my idea of me and these weapons. And I think that... You know, that's why I love your show so much, because I think the only way to combat that is to help people kind of reconfigure their idea of me and what that means. And Johnny, I think you 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 must have done that because you talk about your history 
with Listen, these weapons and I was and, and let me let me say this not only was I trained by the military for this so I I lived with my weapons for 3 years I got to my permanent duty station September 1st 2001 <laughs> so 10 days was all I experienced out of 4 years the, the following 3 years sorry yeah. 10 days of the following 3 years I had 1 year of training so it was my whole time was spent with a rifle. I felt protected. I felt like I couldn't live without it. I where'd felt like if any rifle, where'd you put your guns while you were sleeping? Wherever I had quick access where I wouldn't also blow my own head off. <laughs> Accidentally in my sleep. Yeah. That's so, the tricky thing, isn't it? If if they're going to be readily accessed, they can't it's hard to have them also well secured. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like I said, to be honest, I would have one in my bedroom in a space where I knew I wouldn't accidentally discharge it in my sleep where I could access it upon waking up. And then everything else was locked up, you know, because that's what that was life routine for three years. Yeah. And I was already grew up with guns. I mean, we weren't right wing, crazy political into any of that stuff. Like we just had guns. My grandpa was a hunter. My dad and I, it was a bonding thing. It was one of the few things I ever did with my dad that I enjoyed. <laughs> okay. And it was like, so it's that emotional level. It's like, you can't, who's going to shit on that? No, I'm going to bite your head off at the first most inconceivably unoffensive thing you say, you know? Yeah. And I think maybe that is part of what underlies the sort of slippery slope theory that always seems to enter in when we have these conversations too, because I think people equate doing anything with you coming after my identity. Hmm. Right. Um, I think that's why it's so easy for people to pick on trans and LGBTQ community because they don't identify with them in any yeah. way. And identity. that's, that's a, that's a fear building thing that's innate i would say to some degree there's you know the concept of feeling something like almost at a primal level yeah instinctual it's more innate than it's core core to our very beings identity Uh, dr colts i think you you were really like nailing it on the head on what's what are the factors at play here? This lack of, uh, of a sense of safety and trust that to the point where someone feels like to feel safe, I need to arm up. And that is uniquely American because that comes along with the uniquely American value of rugged individualism, which feeds gloriously into toxic masculinity this whole notion of you got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps uh, and if you just work hard keep your head down the american dream is yours but we all know that's a lie we know that the system's rigged against us the system is designed to keep us oppressed and so traditionally we find safety by building community that's how we've evolved as a species but what rugged individualism does it's every man for himself how can you possibly find safety in that 
Well, it's, it's interesting. I think what you're saying relates a lot. You know, you've, I don't know if I mentioned this the last time, but I'll say it again because I think it's pertinent. Um, you may have heard, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of an old saying. Everyone's heard that. Yeah. I don't think that's how it works at all. I think we, we evolved, as Ben was saying, to feel safe through connection, through community, um, through connection in which we feel safe, right? And if that's, that's how it's supposed to work, that when we're struggling, when we're having a hard time, when we're brokenhearted, when we're overwhelmed, when we're sad, we're designed like, and when I say designed, I mean by like evolution, right? That's, that's what happens when you're a baby, you cry, you're in distress, mom picks you up, dad picks you up holds you, cuddles you, and you feel safe, you feel better. And that's how we work as adults too. But if you've got this idea, if something's happened in your development or in your, how much you buy into this kind of masculinity stuff, like I have to be individual, I have to be strong on my own. If something keeps you from being able to feel safe, being able to connect with others and and to feel safe that way, then I think, you know, if you can't join them, beat them, (laughs) you know? So if I can't feel safe with you, then better that I have more power than you, that I'd be more powerful, mm. more influential, have more money. And I mean, we see this. Why? I mean, we look at billionaires. Why does anyone need to have a billion dollars? Right. A lot of the problems in this in the country right now and in the world are driven by this huge economic inequity where the rich more and more of the money is is, is located up here in these few people. And then you've got this huge, massive amount of people who literally can't afford to live. Like can't afford just to buy food, pay for their shelter, like on a month to month basis. I, I mean, you know, I, I think people think of millionaires kind of like billionaires. Well, a million seconds ago, like the early 90s, you know, or uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a million seconds ago, it was like, you know, six months or a year ago, a billion seconds ago, it was like 1993. It's a right. huge difference. Scale. Why do people, why would people want to accumulate? Well, I think it's, it's all part of it, right? If I can't feel safe with you, better that I be more powerful, more money, more guns, more influence, whatever. And, and so I think part of what drives this is that we have generations of men who struggle to allow themselves to feel emotions other than anger. Yeah. Because maybe we associate those things with weakness or vulnerability and who struggle, I think, relatedly to connect with people, which is hmm. what we have to do to really feel safe. And so if hmm. you don't know how to do the things that help you feel safe, then when you feel all the difficult emotions, you can't soothe. You don't feel better. There's nothing you can do to sort of soften it. And so you do the next best thing, which is engage in these threat regulation strategies. I'm going to buy a bunch of guns. I'm going to. Hmm. you know, distract myself. By regulation certain I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a difference. And this is really important in compassion focused therapy, a big distinction. And, and Paul Gilbert, who created CFT uh, talks about this a lot. There's a big difference between feeling safe and feeling a little less threatened in the moment. Right. We see this, for example, in, in the case of obsessive compulsive disorder, right. In OCD, you've got someone who maybe checks the stove 300 times a day to make sure that it's not on because they've got this intrusive thought that says, I'm going to burn down my house, even though they don't cook. Right. But they've got this threat that's there all the time. And why do they check the stove? Because while they're checking the stove, they feel a little less threatened, Hmm. but they don't feel safe. 
And so as soon as they're off doing something else, the intrusive thought comes back, the fear comes back, they go back and check again. Right. So it's all threat regulation stuff. I think we've got a lot of men here who, who don't feel safe with their emotions, who have struggle, struggle mm. to connect with other people to feel safe. And I think that's why we end up when you combine that with easy access to. I, 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 you got to be careful how you talk about guns because people can say, well, it's not really an assault rifle. It's not this. No. But, you know, oh, with very gun. deadly firearms. Yeah, yeah, very deadly firearms. And I just, I, Johnny, I'm glad you brought up guns. I just want to share one story, if I could, that that speaks okay. to this issue specifically. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about guns, people, for reasons we've talked about in terms of identity and others, it's easy for them to feel attacked. But sometimes I think what can help is to actually just share stories about the difference it makes. We had a school shooting in Spokane a few years ago where I live at a high school, literally a 10 minute drive from my son's house or my son, now my son's school rather, about a 15 minute drive from my house, 10 minutes from my son's elementary school. And um, what happened, I was involved because I met with some of the kids to try and reintegrate back in the school after and I, things like that. But what happened, we had a shooter who went into the school uh, with an AR-15 and a, a, pistol, a pistol, a six shooter. And he went in the hall uh, during class changes. And if you've ever been to high school during class changes, right, the, the hall's glutted, right? It's just filled with people going to their lockers, going to the next class, whatever. He gets in this hall, pull out the AR-15 and gets ready to lay down fire. And the AR-15 jammed. And so he he then pulled out the pistol, emptied the pistol, injured three kids, and uh, one of the other boys there jumped on him to try and stop him, and he killed the boy that tried to stop him. So there were three kids injured, one one dead, which, of course, was a huge tragedy. But I want you to imagine what that scene looks like if the AR-15 doesn't jam, Right instead of one dead child, you've got what happened in Texas. You've got maybe dozens. And that to me is that, that to me is the argument for sensible gun reg regulations. Because yeah, I mean, if, if people say, yeah, if someone wants to kill people, if someone wants to hurt people, they're going to find a way. Probably so, right? But what we know about crime, we know lots about crime. If you make crime just a little harder, just a little less convenient, hmm. it rates drop dramatically. You know, the single best thing you can do to prevent your house being broken into? Lock your doors and windows. Thieves go, thieves go and they try the window, they try the door, they can't get in, they go into the next house. Right? Is get that a called noisy, a, is that called get a a noisy dog. What? Is that called a deterrent? Well, I think it's a it's a deterrent, but it's a small deterrent. It just makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't they difficult. just check the next one? Why well, why they, they may, you know? right? Right, yeah. I'm just saying but, it makes it plausible, like that's what they do in parking lots, car thieves, people that pet rob yeah. open cars. They go through each one and pick the one that's open. It's not about, is it the best way? No, it's just, if your car's not available and open, they're just going to move to the next one. Uh, and, and if the weapon of war isn't readily available, maybe you use something else yeah. that's less lethal mm -hmm. that, that can cause less damage. Anyway, so I just wanted to share that story because for me, after that, I'm like, that's 
that's the best testament. I that's the best argument I've heard for why we need to think about that. Okay, this is fascinating conversation. I feel like uh, it's 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 such a hard topic. There's a lot of tension here, so I'm going to try to diffuse the the tension just a little bit by doing this. It works every time. <laughs> that was the rusty screen door by like none other than John. My armpit. <laughs> um, Josh and Mers would love to hear your thoughts. Josh, I'm still trying to hack up a lung, so <laughs> just give me a minute. I'm fighting off a cold. Um, I, I mean, we've had a lot of great conversation already about a lot of this and when it comes to you know my thoughts on this event i mean it shocked me obviously i mean i was just at work i was at work doing my thing and i just made the mistake of opening up social media and i have a lot of people who have their finger on the pulse of the news and i heard about this and i went you know my exact quote was oh jesus not again (laughs) because it's like we literally just had buffalo happen right and then just after Buffalo, we had a guy going and shoot up a Taiwanese church in L.A., right? And I'm sitting there just going, I thought like 2020 and 2021 were supposed to be the two-part apocalypse, and 2022 was our gateway out. But nope, we still got some trailblazers there. And and Josh, we, we both have partners who are school teachers. <laughs> well, not so. just that. I mean, I am a school teacher. And, yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah, we I had... teach kids mm-hmm. in K through five. Yeah. And, and I've, and... I couldn't even imagine. And I've been deployed to war. Yeah. Post 9-11. Immediately after and for the remainder of my time in. You know? Yeah. I can't even, like, I'm a gun person. I'm a NRA life member. I am an NRA certified firearms instructor on every single class they give. Card carrying. Lifetime NRA (laughs) member. Well, to be yes, to be literal, I don't carry it on me. (laughs) Who's also a school teacher? It's really interesting perspective you have. It's just I can't fathom it, man. It makes me weepy. Think about, and and I'm not a soft person. I'm as hard as hard gets in my soul. I earned it. And I don't give a shit if people in that culture don't like it. I've been there. I've been you. I've been on your side. Fought for you probably more than you ever have, whoever's listening. (laughs) Okay? And if you want to talk to me about it, let's talk about it. I'll give you my email. Happily. Let's go. I was a weapons specialist in the military and a lifelong mariner certified instructor and I'm a teacher Who's got a different connection like that? I don't know. I don't know if that's common. I have thoughts. Yeah. And, and My thought this... is human baby or inanimate object. Yeah. Exactly. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. I, I want to hear people. Email me, please. I want to hear yeah. your answer. And then if you have a debate argument to make, I will listen. Because if you know something I don't, I want to hear it. Yeah. I'm not worried about that being a problem for me, though. <laughs> be honest. I don't mean to dig at anybody. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. And 
just for myself when it came to this event. I mean, just literally, as we just mentioned, we had Buffalo happen, what, about a week or two ago? And now we just had uh, Texas happen. And just from my own perspective, I you know, because everybody's sharing their own points of view on this from a personal relation. Ben's got a two-year-old daughter. Johnny's a school teacher. Russell's a teacher and he's got kids. Like from my perspective, Buffalo, where was it at? It was at a grocery store. Where mm. do I work? In a grocery Damn. store. Yeah. So I don't like to have the idea. I already had it with COVID. I never no, had it, but no. just that threat of yeah. anytime I could walk into that store, I could bring yeah. home a plague that could kill my family. For that, and really, and, and that, that's the job you're working. You're like, this isn't my life right here. I'm, no. just, I'm working, you know, on my way to my goals. Like I'm going to die for that. No, no, absolutely not. And then when it came to the shooting thing, okay, so a guy went and shot up a grocery store. And I've had at least in almost the eight years I've been with this company, which is a pain for me to say out loud that I've been with this store for eight years. But in the eight years, we've had at least three or four times where we've had to have a sit down and watch a video from the University of Texas about what would happen if a shooter went into your your facility. Right, and you had to either run, Y'all hide, trained for this fight. I had to basically be trained as far as well. We will, well, the union will want you to run and hide, we don't want you to fight. And I'm like, well, well, we'll see. Right, so I don't like the idea of oh, I go to work and I already have enough problems as being a grocery clerk and dealing with the Karens of the world's as is. That's enough for a lifetime <laughs> therapy that's, session. That's right there. breeding ground, bro. That's the oh, absolutely. Grounds. More like proving grounds, sorry. I mean, we have a little button for if somebody needs to get to the liquor case and it goes, liquor, needs assistance. And I go, no, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) But then, but not really. But then, Afternoon highball. (laughs) No, I am not my grandfather. No. But when it comes to... Mid-morning highball. No, (laughs) maybe. But when it comes to that, it's like, okay, now my work is now potentially a dangerous place. Thanks. It was just like when I read about, you know, the Pulse nightclub shooting that happened back in 2016. The guy initially wanted to try and hit Disney World. And it's like, really? Yeah. So now I got to feel like my, you know, the happiest place on earth could be a literal kill zone. That's uncomforting. I work and now there. we had a school get shot up and my girlfriend is an elementary school teacher. It's what she wants to do. So now I already had the fear that she's going to bring home. Which I love her to death. She did already. Brought home a cold from those little rugrats that all <laughs> both of us had. I'm still dealing with it, but I love her. <laughs> it was out of her control. But then also, now she, I, I might, I'm scared that, oh, well, what happens if it's she gets caught up in a meeting and it's like 4.30 normally I get a text message or 4 o'clock. I get a text every time on my way home if I have the day off. What happens if 4.30 comes around and I don't hear anything? Well, now I'm going to start getting concerned, Right that well it's not she's got a kid meeting because the kid's not on a program or the parents forgot to pick him up or something it's she may not be alive which just saying that out loud is making me really uncomfortable that and at the same time i got a 12 year old sister i saw her literally grow up and i have that trauma of what if this sweet innocent little girl who is no threat to anybody outside of a box of mcdonald's french fries is ending up dead because somebody was having a bad day. She's in middle school now, in high school. And just the fact that my little sister's growing up is scary because now she's got to deal with boys (laughs) (laughs) in every single way. So I'm like, you know, know, Jen, don't 
if someone asks for best for backseat bingo, you say no, right? <laughs> That's the conversation I want to have. Not remember to duck and cover and aim for the jugular, yeah. right? I don't want to do no, that, no. but it's terrifying, especially when she's going to go to a high school, yep. same high school that I went to. Where guess what? In 2012, there was a stabbing, and the person that attacked was actually just around the corner from my house. I walked the same pathway that this girl did. And what did she do? She waited. She was bullied. She was harassed, you know, neglected. What did she do? She waited in a girl's bathroom with a kitchen knife and attacked two students. Thankfully, they're alive and they were only injured. But just still that, the threat is real. And that's terrifying to me. Living in fear is like the worst thing ever. It affects every part of you. And you will not be able to function like trying to run a marathon in like a very Miami climate or the Sahara desert. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, that fear. It just bogs everything yeah. down. And in I, my case, go ahead, Johnny. Yeah. It's just, it, it seems to me like it's almost surgically feared since, yeah. you know, we're not willing to do anything about it. So why is why the only reason someone that I could conceive of that wouldn't want you to do something that helps people is because there's an agenda associate it but i'm, I'm not yeah. going to talk conspiracy i'm just looking at the behavior cause right. and like what is this what's the relationship yeah. and when it there comes is to, one and when it you got to think fear. about it you know yeah but when, when someone to... tells you how to think on an emotional topic like this sorry josh i'll go ahead it's a, but when someone targets you emotionally like that i was an alex jones groupie oh i gotta throw up a little bit. Seriously. Yeah. He knows exactly how to play that that game of control and manipulation. And I couldn't sleep without it. Like a heroin addict needs heroin. And that's fear. This threat regulation. Yeah. And what is I, this saying from Star Wars? Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. There it is. Hate leads to suffering and i was fearful for a long time and exactly and just because of you know the fear and my genetics i get angry yeah where you know instead of me thinking about oh someone comes into the store and shoots up what do i do oh, i gotta hide i gotta think my mind went from i don't know what would happen i go i wish you know to, to be like sam jackson i wish a motherfucker would <laughs> right and that's not a healthy thing to do That is not a healthy mindset. I don't want to go to work thinking I'm about to go into a fight. I want to go to work and go get a paycheck. The worst is going to happen is I'm going to have some milk spilled on me. Oh, boo-hoo. And then I get to go home. Right? That's what what the milkman's for, right? I am the milkman. (laughs) You know, Square 50s guy, I miss the days when the Red Menace was the thing that we were supposed to be scared about. Not our own domestic terrorists here. Right. But isn't it interesting? It's interesting because we live in this country where how is this country formed? We had to have civilians arm themselves to fight invasion. That invasion ended how long ago? And we never had it since. So why are we still having civilians arm themselves thinking there's going to be invasion when the only invasion that's happened recently was in Ukraine? Why do we still feel the need to continually grab... I got guys at work who talk about they got XYZ 
you know, a list about a mile long of all these weapons. I'm sitting there and I don't say anything, but I'm sitting there going, why? My dad has a pistol just for a home defense, but he never uses it. That thing collects more dust than it does kill counts. Yeah. You know? But well, yeah, why but... do we need all this? I don't I think... understand. Well, since we're going to go to the Constitution, it sounds like the founders, uh, guns, the Second Amendment specifically, the big debate in Congress about the Constitution when they were ratifying it and getting it ready to go between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists uh, was that the federal government had total legal authority over the army and militia. And since at that time before the Civil War, uh, it was a dual federalism system where you had the states were essentially as powerful as the Fed. Uh, the states did not like that the army and militia was controlled by the federal government. And um, the federal government, so the, the counter to the federal government having the control over the sword, if you will, right, the army and the militia, was that the citizenry would not be disarmed. The discussion was, or the, the only real disagreement between those two issues, that the federal government control the army militia and that the federal government should not have any authority to disarm the citizenry, was whether or not an armed population could uh, adequately deter federal oppression. So that was the discussion at the time of the Constitution between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. Damn, Merz. How do you know all that stuff? Merz carries, carries a pocket, pocket. <laughs> pocket constitution. I love it. That's great. I do. I carry one in my wallet. <laughs> I can go get it. I don't doubt it for a second, desk. buddy. I so I just to get with the ladies at the bar. It's like, hey, you want to see something cool? Whip this out <laughs> instead of something else. <laughs> You know it's funny. Knowledge. I take it out in the bar all the time. Of course you do. I've seen you do it, Murray. I've seen you do it. I think I think Kevin and Ben have both seen me do it. Murray, you're everything you present to be. Bro. I love it. It's the best. Murray, what's your you're take on all this? Person, and I love you, buddy. <laughs> well, I don't. I just don't have a lot to say about any of this right now. Okay. I, I said what I had to say. All right. Fair enough. Respectful. Yeah, man. No worries. Well. I am impressed by your historical knowledge, Merce. So. Thank you. Appreciate on that. A, on a serious note. That's that's awesome, man. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah, I, I would say. Uh, I guess I could add one more small thing. My parents are both retired elementary school teachers. My brother was a school teacher. Uh, there was a shooting at the school that was the next school over where I had friends and dated a girl and whatever from my hometown, which is a small, literally the the cow fields butt up against the fence, right? It's not not so much anymore, but when I was growing up, it was very rural, right? So still is. it still is to an extent. Um, there's a lot more houses. There's a lot more bedroom community, if you will. But um, anyway, you get the idea. So uh, when this was all happening and 
there were various solutions put forth. Like um, armed teachers, right? Mm. Um, so, boy, I hope my dad doesn't get at me for this. Huh. I guess it... Uh, runs in my blood to be passionate so my dad went down to olympia and got into it and almost got kicked out of our state capital because one of the uh legislators had put forth a bill to arm teachers and my father said Absolutely not. That gun will be taken from 90% of my colleagues. It's a valid point. And, he got loud and used against them and the kids. I agree with that 100%. And he got very loud and passionate. And I believe he was asked to leave. He's a fourth grade teacher. He is a stoic man. He is why I carry a constitution and why I know those things. And why you know it so, so well. Forgive me, that's really all I got. Well, you're thank good, you, man. man. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate. Uh, everything you guys are saying, but particularly creating this space. Um, some of you may not know this, but, you know, uh, you know, we were had planned to talk about mental illness and, and stuff today that what you'd be doing on a later ec episode. And I kind of emailed Ben this morning. I was sitting in my office getting ready to go to class and it all just hit me. And I was just overwhelmed with like, just like horror and, sadness and grief and anger and all of it and i just i emailed ben and i'm like i i you know i'm happy to log in but i don't know if i'm going to be useful for anything today because i'm just overwhelmed with all this stuff and i i think i appreciate you creating space where we can all feel all of that stuff and acknowledgement acknowledge it and talk about it because i think that's one of the things that men don't do that contributes to, to so many of these problems. Uh, we don't create space for the sadness and the grief and the horror. And and then maybe we channel it all into anger and rage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For know. me, working with children has really helped me reconnect myself to that ability. I think we lose it at some point. Or it becomes so numb that we don't know it's there. Or something like that. You know, and I, I know I say that coming from one side to another. I don't know how to classify which is which or if the words about it other than to distinguish there are two would even matter. Right. So you can but you can assign anything you want to either side of that, you know, and everything in between. And I. I think about it, too, and people don't. They take that, uh, our ability to be compassionate with somebody. Like, we joke a lot here. 
And I, but there's nothing I want to say to anybody here that would ever be intentionally harmful to hurt that person in any way. And if it, sometimes it's miscommunicated, you know, and when it's miscommunicated and people aren't even aware it's there, let alone bridging the gap of the, the, the healthy thing to do versus the instinctual thing to do. I'm not going to say bad. I'm going to say instinctual. To me, that's like default position on a lot of stuff. And I'm only aware of it because of things I learned in education. I didn't realize things that I felt had labels already. Like people already figured it out. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. There's a, this is a thing. This wasn't just occurring in my brain. There's actually something that like people have done studies on this. Wait, this is like, this is like 80 years old. <laughs> they knew this the whole time. Yeah, but how many steps does it take to get to that from where you feel identified with someone that you think is attacking you to bridging the gap of like ultimate healing you know where's the intermediary I have no idea all I know is that that's the way I see it that's what makes sense to me and I have an intuition about that before I had an education about that yeah I think one of the first steps is just being able to acknowledge what you feel. I've talked to a lot of men about, you know, you ask men questions and and not just men. I mean, uh, women, other folks too. Sometimes you'll say, well, what did you learn when you were growing up? What did you learn about emotions and how to handle them? What did you learn about what to do when you're sad or when you're scared or when you're angry or anxious? And, And you'd be surprised, maybe you wouldn't, how many how many guys respond back saying, you know, I don't actually remember ever hearing my parents even say those words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in their brother. Afraid, <laughs> afraid or anxious. Like we didn't even use emotion words. That yeah. wasn't hmm. no one it, it was you'd see people express it in different ways and some <laughs> in appropriate ways and some in really scary ways, but there was for many people, there was never even a conversation. What do you do when you're scared? What do you do when you're sad? How do you handle yeah. it when you're heartbroken or you're filled with grief? And if, if we don't even, if you don't even name it, right, how are people supposed to learn how to handle those feelings? Yeah. But, but before right. you get naming it, Russell, to touch on your point, to being even aware it exists. Yeah. Some people don't, yeah. they ignore the flags. You know, they say there's an old adage, like the, if you, the, the universe is always listening if you're open to your if you open your ears, some kind of version of that. You know what I mean? Saying like everything you do matters, everything you self-talk, everything that you say out loud, and it conditions people to kind of like incentivize them to be pro-social. And you could break that down to kind of an evolutionary perspective. But if people can't just, I think, lead with compassion and kind of trust your gut before you trust things that you've heard, regardless of whether you agree with it or not, I, I think is. it's a. I think it's a fun exercise to look up an emotion wheel. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm in the emotion, because it starts at the middle, right? Yeah. And they're basic emotions: are you happy? Mm-hmm. Are you sad? Are you right? Angry? Are you mm-hmm. upset? Whatever. And then it branches out, and as it branches out, you get more and more words to yeah. use, um, to describe to yourself what you're feeling, and once you get to like disgusted instead of angry or uh, uh, anxious instead of uh, afraid, 
you can begin to really uh, screw down on what you are feeling, where it's coming from, and yeah. what is the opposite of that, yeah. and how do you keep yourself from being disgusted? Let's let's take it down a notch from disgusted to despaired. Let's take and I I don't have it in front. It's on my wall behind me, but you know it's an easy it's hard to see it. Um, yeah. With this dumpster you know, fire going on behind me, it's really hard to see the emotion wheel. <laughs> it's an easy but, way to be but, moral, too. And and go ahead, Russell. Oh, I was I was just going to say, you know, going through that exercise actually helps you work with the emotion. Hmm. There are actually studies that show mm -hmm. that actually just naming what you're feeling with regard to threat emotions like anger or fear or anxiety mm -hmm. actually there's a little almond shape structure in the middle of our brains called the yep. amygdala, amygdala, which is mm -hmm. fires up. Well, what yep. the studies show is if you say the, the moment you say I'm angry, actually the amygdala activation that corresponds with the anger gets turned down a little bit. Yeah. You've, it softens the feeling, just naming it, just acknowledge this You're is what I'm doing right now softens it. It helps us work with it. That's the mm -hmm. first step to sort of, as Johnny was saying, to, to notice something's happening here, to notice that's a feel, And then the next step is like, okay, what am I feeling? And how and does I think that wheel helps with that. How does the cognitive bias fit into that model? Right. Mm -hmm. well, like, what is, what does it do when you add this chemical to that chemical? These two chemicals might be good together, but as soon as you add this thing, it's like a crazy reaction. I think it changes the the neural pathways too, doesn't it? Or am I totally off on how that? I, well, you you just I, unfortunately I'm not a neuroscientist, and yeah. so one okay. of one of the things that's important to me is not to speak beyond my expertise. Look, there's a there's an argument to be made for some sort of operant conditioning. Oh, well, there's all kinds. What there's always, saying, but, yeah. but if you're gonna like, I mean, how deep do you take that? And does it matter? I don't know. That's These are all said. good questions. I think <laughs> it's not the last time you're gonna say that. How deep does it go? Hey. Oh, <laughs> oh boy! Oh, oh, oh dude! <laughs> to get it in there. Hey! Hey! hey. <laughs> Oh boy! It just keeps going, doesn't it? Oh, oh. hey! Oh. oh no! That's how we shut him up. Okay, we got to wrap things up. Uh, Doctor Colts, really grateful for you to be here for this conversation. I appreciate you always bringing in that the perspective of uh empirical data and what's what actually are proven practices uh and uh schemas to approach life as a healthy man trying to be the best man that we can be uh you mentioned earlier oh is that your wheel of emotions oh, an emotional turkey you, you can't you can't really read it, I had to stretch it but that, what did you say <laughs> Mers is an emotional turkey. <laughs> and it's turkey mating season. <laughs> oh, no. 
somebody from Oklahoma would know that. I mean, that's just. Yeah, I've, got, I've got them in my backyard in Spokane. Oh, oh no! Male turkeys. Come on, come on, come on! Oh dear! When I'm walking around the streets and I make that sound, I got to be careful because it's so realistic. I might get assaulted by some random turkey, so you know, be careful. <laughs> But uh, Dr. Colts, you mentioned earlier your appreciation for the space that we've created to be able to process the anger and confusion that we might have around this, the senselessness that's been happening. And that really makes me reflect on, you know, I sure wish these individuals who felt like they needed to do that would have had the space to be able to process their anger hate and rage because I, I think that is part of the solution and there is no, I was going to say silver bullet, but there is no panacea here. Um, one, one solution that's going to fix everything. Uh, we've talked about this, uh, being not only an issue of toxicity, but also ready access to lethal arms. And you know, uh, man, I got something to say, Ben. Sorry to interrupt. Bring it. But, you know, I have a very real sense of relief right now. Not to be gross, but, you know, you got to really go. And then finally, like, you think you're going to go in your pants. And then you finally get to it. And it's wow. safe. Like, you knew you. <laughs> well, <laughs> Stop that it. was Kapoom. <laughs> Listen, that real sense of relief. It's like an undeniable thing. Like it's not, you don't have to be emotional about it. It's a feeling like it's a different, I'm putting different words to it. Cause it's like that feeling of relief. When I say, you go, you know, relief in your physical form, you know, it. you don't question it, yeah. but people don't take the step. Like sometimes it doesn't happen on its own. Sometimes you just let it build up and build up. And it's like, once you're buried in the coffin or once you're in the coffin, how do you tell the difference if you're buried or not? How do you tell if you're not moving, if you're just comfortable in your space and you're just in, you know, sleeping position, how would you know you were buried? if you wouldn't even think to look, let alone know where to look, let alone know how to do it. Once you get in there and realize that it's super hard and it takes real work. But it's easy to shit on, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Johnny Scass, for that great point. Uh, so I guess just to our listeners, if you're ever out there experiencing that anger, hate, and rage, reach out to someone because we're all stronger together. And this isn't about every man for himself, rugged individualism. That gets us nowhere. Build your community, build your sense of safety. It takes a village, build that village. Do it. And Teamwork, make a dream work. We all feel anger, hate, and rage at times. We need to find ways to deal with that. And, you know, step one is acknowledging that you're feeling that, as we've discussed. Yeah, just um, do that. The rest will sort itself out eventually if you want it. But at the okay, same let, time, you can also do it for someone else. If you're noticing that someone is maybe mm. struggling and they don't want to accept that, yeah, you could be that open door that that they can first, that first step, that first door to open up into a much better tomorrow. Yeah, because you know you can only go so far without a tribe. Hopefully, that tribe <laughs> is just not of cannibals, but it's of actual <laughs> oh, <boy>. people. 
<laughs> oh boy. You're not going to go very far with a tribe of cannibals. I mean, it's just kind of how it works. Uh, talk to New Guinea and you might have a different story there. But uh... <laughs> Did not expect us to go this direction. Okay, let's let's uh, go around and do last words. Uh, Johnny Spaz. Oh, <laughs> okay, profound. Uh, Square 50s guy slash Josh. Um, regardless of what turmoils may come, if my background says anything about it, that life uh, finds a way, hopefully in the right way. Mm. Mike Merce. Uh Why didn't the turkey eat any food? <laughs> Jesus Merce. It's a question, a serious question. Come on, if you're going to call me a turkey, let's repeat, go. Repeat it again. <laughs> why didn't the turkey eat any food? Why? Because it was stuffed. So, <laughs> I do have, I, I just have one quote that I think gets misquoted all the time that I'd like to read. It's by Benjamin Franklin, and it gets misquoted a lot. So I wanted to read the actual quote, which is, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And Whoa. unfortunately, it's misquoted, which usually gives it the wrong connotation. So yeah, I wanted I'm, that to be, I love it. I want that to be a clear quote. Um, yeah. the actual quote. As far as I know, that is the actual quote. Feed fear a suck it sandwich. <laughs> Doctor Colts, last words with you. You know, I just like to invite any of the men listening um to to like get curious about what you're feeling. Like when you notice stuff coming up and if it's sadness or fear or anxiety, instead of like turning away and try to avoid that because it feels weak or, or maybe like criticizing yourself because you think maybe you, you shouldn't be like this. Maybe it means you're not manly enough. What if you just acknowledge that? Yeah, I'm a human being and being a human being means that sometimes I'm going to be sad or grief stricken or embarrassed or whatever it is. And maybe uh, like Josh was saying, find someone who's willing to, to listen and and share your experience with them. And a lot of times what's going to happen is you're going to find someone who's like, oh, yeah, I feel that, too. And maybe they feel that sense of release that uh, Spaz was talking about, mm -hmm. that having the kind of space that we've created here. We can create that space for ourselves and we create it for other people. But it starts with this acceptance that this is part of the human story, right? We all feel this yeah. stuff. And instead of avoiding it or feeling weak or turning it into anger and rage, uh, what if we just deal with it at the source Yeah, and create mm -hmm. space to do that? And I appreciate you guys creating that space today again. Thanks. Hey. Thanks for joining always, us. Yeah, always welcome. Anytime, right guys. Awesome. Happy to have you here, bud. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah. Okay, I'll everyone. I'll give you an SDJ salute. <laughs> thanks for listening to this Love special it. edition of sexy dad jokes and uh be nice to each other out there yeah and uh we will see you next time <laughs> don't forget the drill noises <laughs> <laughs>